Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. So, Game 4 was last night. The Heat won. That puts them up 3-1 in their first-round series against the Hawks and puts them in position to close out the game in Miami, Game 5, Tuesday night, but let's get a little bit ahead of ourselves. the The big storyline beyond just you know the Heat winning was uh, Victor Oladipo making his debut and helping to power a crushing Miami defense that led to this what ended up being a blowout win, a hundred and ten to eighty six. And yeah, I won't lie, <laughs> I won't lie. I might I might not have had the guts as much going into this game. Uh, when a few hours before tip-off, it was announced that not only would Kyle Lowry be out for the Miami Heat, and in his place, Gabe Vincent started, and Caleb Martin kind of filled in that role off the bench, kind of like I thought, um, but not only would Kyle Lowry be out, but Clint Capella would be back for the Atlanta Hawks, and that was like, that was the, the big looming excuse that the Hawks have had all this series. Oh, we haven't had our starting center. Oh, well, yeah, we'll wait till Capella's back. Well, he was back, and the Hawks still got their shit kicked in. But ahead of myself again. But yeah, point there being, though, going into the game, I had a heightened level of concern because no Lowry plus Capella back for the Hawks. That's like really plus the momentum of winning game three just Friday night. Like, I I could see it in my head. I could see the story almost writing itself of the Hawks evening the series. Um, So yeah, blame me. I did not have the guts. But I will gladly be wrong. Um, but now to go through the recap real quick, though. The headline for this game, very clearly a dominating defensive performance for Miami. I mean, considering how offensively skewed the Hawks are and they only scored 86 points, that kind of tips you off right off the bat. But uh, through the game, first quarter was pretty rough. Miami shot only 32% from the field. And yet, through offensive rebounds and having no turnovers of their own in the first quarter, which is extremely rare for this Heat team if you watch them throughout the year. But between those two, Miami actually was able to just pretty much out-possession the Hawks and keep it close. The Heat were only down 25-26 at the end of the first quarter. As we got into the second, though, the Hawks went on a 9-0 run early in the second. They had the Heat down 10. A bam basket did cut it to 6 but at that point is when Victor Oladipo made his debut in the series. And we'll we'll discuss it a little bit more, but the, the big thing that stood out from Oladipo's minutes mainly is just the way that he was able to keep everything flowing in a way very similar to what Kyle Lowry does, which is really great considering we did not have Kyle Lowry this game. Just to say that Oladipo kind of was able to fill in that same role and in a similar way where in Game 3, when Kyle Lowry was there during the Miami Heat 21-0 run, Victor Oladipo did the same here. So between that, Jimmy Butler scoring, and then a Miami Heat defense that was just absolutely stifling, they crushed the Hawks the rest of the second quarter 26-6, to a 20-point swing to take a 55-41 to halftime lead. As the third opened up, a strong hark start got the lead under 10 for Miami, so they started to get a little bit nervous. But then the Heat went on a 9-0 run to completely right the ship. They're back up 17 and essentially just kind of cruised from there, you know, through really great bench play and some more Victor Oladipo to be up 80-61 to going into the fourth. So, yeah, just, again, stop there for a moment, right? Like a heavily... 
Like, we have seen the Atlanta Hawks score 61 points in the half, and they're at the end of the third quarter only at 61 points. So, yeah, the defense was just con- pretty much from about the that halfway point in the second quarter when Victor Oladipo came in. From that point on, it, it was just a defensive clinic against the Hawks. As for the fourth itself, the Heat pretty much just kept building up the lead. They eventually got up to about 24 with four minutes left. And then at that point, the Hawks finally wove the white flag, benching their starters, and I guess trying to figure out what they're going to do for the offseason because this series looks like a wrap. As for Miami, you know, same thing. They emptied out the benches and then cruised to, again, what was a amazing bounce back, 110-86. So big headline, obviously, like I mentioned already, Victor Oladipo. So... The reason why I, I drew a lot of parallels to what Kyle Lowry does is also kind of like Kyle Lowry, especially this series. Um, Victor Oladipo's box score was really not terribly impressive. Uh, six points, eight rebounds, four assists on three attempts from the field, 0 of 5 from three, no free throws in 23 minutes. So not too impressive, but again, kind of similar to what we've seen with Kyle Lowry before where he may not have really an impressive box score, but... This is a situation where the basic counting stats don't capture the impact that the player is having. Uh, you could have other statistics that do capture that. For example, plus minus. So also kind of like Kyle Lowry, though the box score counting stats weren't that great, the, the plus minus was. So Victor Oladipo, plus 20 in the second quarter, plus 3 in the third quarter, plus 5. He played all of the fourth quarter ending with a plus 28 overall. So every single stint that he was in, like Miami did just played better. And that goes to things that are harder to capture. So like, for example, hockey assists. So the, which are like assist to assists. Um, I, I mainly, I learned first of them in hockey, but the, the idea is like in basketball, you don't get, if you pass to somebody and then that person you know, passes to another, so an assist leading to an assist. That's not captured in a box score, but just explaining it, it you can kind of uh, conceptualize how that's still important for a team, especially one that's really predicated upon ball movement and each teammate being able to pass to the other one to go from the good to the great shot. Uh, for a team like Miami that's built upon that, having players that can get a lot of those assist-to-assist things like what Oladipo was doing tonight is important. And then, yeah, on the defensive end, I mean, Oladipo athletically looks great, and he looks like he is completely bought into Miami's defensive system. I don't think, like, personally, I did not have any issues with Oladipo's defense, even during the troubling times and, like, March with the losing streak. It was mainly, for me, the question of how he could fit in on the offensive end. Tonight... Like, tonight he very clearly fit in and did so in a way that, to me, felt reminiscent of Kyle Lowry. Beyond Oladipo, though, another big game for Jimmy Butler. So, in 36 minutes, which is good that he, you know, got under 40, but, you know, we have four minutes of garbage time at the end, so he got some rest there. But in 36 minutes, Jimmy Butler, 36 points, 10 rebounds, got the double-double, Four assists, four steals, which a lot of those were the the good old-fashioned Jimmy Butler poke out to an easy layup or dunk, um, and one block on 12 of 21 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, and 11 of 12 from the line. Also, to go with it, no turnovers, only one foul, and a plus 14 overall. 
And where I want to again go back to the Oladipo-Lowry comparison, um, in specifically the, the times that Jimmy Butler was getting his points. So he got 25 of his 36 points in the second and fourth quarter. Specifically, 13 points in the second. I kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier. But that 13 in the second, like, he did not start scoring in the second quarter until Victor Oladipo came in. So that, that whole 13-point run that he had in the second was with Victor Oladipo sharing the court with him. And then Oladipo played all of the fourth, during which Butler dropped another 12 points in eight minutes because he didn't play the last four. Just to, But again... That entire time in the fourth was alongside Victor Oladipo. So I think what we saw in game four was a Jimmy Butler that didn't have to focus. I mean, again, it goes back to the comparisons between last year's team and this year's team, where last year's team was a lot of Jimmy Butler having to balance being the leading playmaker and the leading scorer when he's probably at his best just having to focus on being more so the leading scorer and like the secondary playmaker so. And in that sense, that's where I think having Oladipo there was great. Oladipo just kept everything moving, and Butler could just focus on dropping points. Again, during which he dropped 25. So the adjustment to play Oladipo paying off, definitely. Um, additional adjustments that I thought like really stood out for this game, P.J. Tucker at the 5 yet again. So we saw this a little bit during Game 2, when both Dwayne Dedman and Bam Adebayo were in foul trouble and pretty much Spo was like, all right, well, I got to go PJ at the five and it worked to great success. Oh, that's right. And with Martin in at the four. Uh, we did not see it as much game three, which we know ended up in a loss. So this game, Spo ended up having a pretty short hook for Dwayne Dedman. Dedman only played four minutes at the end of the first, during which it looked like the Hawks were pretty much trying to go at him. So from then on out until it was garbage time, essentially, P.J. Tucker was the backup for Bam Adebayo. So, like, if Bam wasn't out there, they were going small ball with P.J. at the five. It is for good reason. It lets Jimmy Butler play in a lot more space because essentially you have either Caleb Martin or Max Strews playing, you know, one of those forward spots and providing additional spacing so Butler can do whatever he wants. I mean, obviously, P.J. Tucker already spaces the floor from the corners, so then essentially you have two corners and two wings. Yeah, Jimmy Butler has tons of space to drive inside. And low-key alongside that, it kind of unlocks P.J. Tucker as well. Like, this was another great P.J. Tucker game. 14 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists on 5 of 7 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 2 free throws, and one technical. It's all good, though. It's playoff basketball. That's how it is. But um, the point, though, being, though, is P.J. Tucker was as a small ball five, but not having to be small ball five like in Houston where he doesn't get to do anything, being Miami small ball five where he can pass out of it, he can post up. I mean, like, he had one post up where he pretty much just completely bullied Trey Young, and then I think he said it was uh, the lip reading was, it was like being guarded by a baby. But there being P.J. Tucker as a backup small ball five is very effective. As for Dwayne Dedman, I, I specifically think that this is just not a great series for him, more so because like the, the Hawks t- tend to already go down in size and to try to play a faster pace and get more scoring out there. So in that respect, like Deadman doesn't quite provide what Miami needs versus being able to match the you know like the bench uh, small ball lineups with their own bench small ball lineups with PJ at the five instead. So, 
But conversely, I think, say, next series against most likely the Philadelphia 76ers, Deadman's going to be more important there because in that series, the primary thing is guarding Joel Embiid, and you need big bodies for that. So, yeah, rest up this series, Deadman. We're going to need you next one. But for, for I think from this point on, Spo may do the thing where he, he at least... Like he, what he's been doing with Duncan Robinson, where he at least gives Deadman a few minutes to see see what's there. But if it doesn't look like it's immediately on that night, quick hook. And PJ at the five from there on out. But yeah, zooming back out from here, like this, this seriously was just a defensive clinic. They held the Hawks to 30 of 75 from the field. That's 40%. The, they weren't too bad from three, 15 from 42 from three, good for 36%. But really, the thing that stands out is you look at the way that they scored by quarter, right? So Atlanta Hawks, first quarter, 26 points. Second quarter, which again, like right, that was when I say the defense started to really turn on when Oladipo came in, 15 points in the second quarter. Then third quarter itself, 20 points. So 35 points, essentially over half of a game. The fourth, 25 points as well, but you got to remember the last four minutes of the fourth was essentially garbage time, during which one of the bench players for the Hawks scored, you know, double-digit points. So just to say that I know at least 10 of that 25 that they scored in the fourth was garbage time, which means at most 15 points through the first eight-ish minutes or so. Outside of that garbage time, the only Hawks players that even scored double-digit points, DeAndre Hunter and John Collins. Not even Trey Young, which, speaking of Trey Young, and after what was a great game in Game 3, that was the one great Trey Young game I thought the Hawks were going to get this series, yet he did, he wasn't even good. Like, if you looked at the progression, you may have felt, you may have felt pretty good, like, all right, bad Game 1, Good game two, great game three, maybe at least good game four. No, bad game five. Ice Trey completely melted, finished nine points, one rebound, five assists on three of 11 from the field, three of 10 from three, 0 for 1 from the free throw line, five turnovers, three fouls, and overall a minus 27. That is really hard to do when you're supposed to be an elite player. But let's go back to to the field goal part, right? So 3 of 11 from the field, but 3 of 10 of that 3 of 11 was from 3-point. So he went 0 for 1 inside the arc, essentially, which made sense. He could not get inside at all. even said so after the game that it was like, yeah, every time I tried to drive inside, there was just a mountain of Miami Heat bodies that I couldn't get past, which is why essentially he got forced into the major- vast majority of his shots being from 3 to 3 of 10. And of those 3 of 10, the- these were not like easy corner shots or in rhythm pull-ups or anything like that. These were deep threes. He could like he was several feet behind the line for, I want to say, at least half of those three-point attempts. Which, again, just emphasizing how how far back the Heat were having to push him to where he can get an open shot. But also, how much of just an absolute torture chamber they had Young in for the entire time. Like, there's one possession really going around uh, social media that I saw where Trey Young gets has P.J. Tucker picking him up. He comes up and he's like, alright, well, let's see, who can I... 
Who can I switch on to? All right, cool. Okay, let's bring over forces switch. All right, who do I have? Oh, I got Bam Adebayo. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, that's not, not Bam Adebayo. All right, um, let's, let's force another switch. Okay. All right, who do I got? I got, I got Jimmy Butler now. Can I just can I just jack up from deep from three again? Cool. All right, maybe I'll, I'll go get him next possession. And, yeah, that, that one possession was pretty much the entire game. And, like, that was the thing why I'd also, th again, go back to why you do PJ at the five is because now Trey Young can't bring out Dwayne Dedman way out there and then go at him. Like, he has to do that with PJ Tucker now. <laughs> That's not going to work. And the end result is a bad Trey Young game, which the one thing that has been very clear throughout this series, if Trey Young is having a bad game, the Heat are blowing out the Hawks. If he if he's having a good game, you know the Heat are still winning pretty handily. The only time the Hawks have been competitive in this series is when Trey Young is playing great. They got that in Game Three. Like like that is where we are at now. This series would be a sweep if not for Trey Young coming in and having a absurd fourth quarter in Game Three and hitting a pretty good floater to to win by one. That that is the thin margin upon which we even have a game five right now, but uh, it's always been heat and five. Uh, so some quick closing observations: Max Drews, uh, four fourteen from three, so not quite like high volume, but wasn't really dropping too much for him. However, still a team high plus thirty four and. Yeah, actually thinking about this now, the fact that Struz took 14 threes, of which like every single one that he shot looked legitimately confident, that still has to have an effect on the Hawks from a floor spacing perspective. Because they know, essentially, doesn't really matter what Struz is shooting, he's going to rise up and shoot. Which, yeah, it does have a spacing effect, because Max Struz can have those games where he just goes absolutely off. Not so much this one, though. But I, I think, though, did the willingness to take the shot kind of help to add to the spacing, and that's why he was a team high plus 34, in addition to playing really great defense. It's not not quite like, you know, Jimmy Butler at Bam Adebayo level, but far better, like far more, I mean, like, what do they say? Defense, the vast majority of defense is effort, and Max Struess is playing with 100% effort on defense. Outside of that, though, um, Duncan Robinson only played six minutes uh, in non-garbage time, zero field goal attempts, one foul, uh, minus seven, so kind of got the short hook again. And it, it's, it still goes back to how impactful that game one was where, you know, Duncan goes completely off, and it's just like this, this PTSD moment in all the Hawks now that whenever Duncan Robinson steps on the floor, they do everything he can to make sure he doesn't even get a field goal attempt up. And all that means for the Miami Heat is, okay, short hook for Duncan. Thanks for the contributions in game one. Uh, you know, we'll see how it goes next series. Outside of Duncan, though, Tyler Hero, again, had a really struggled hard tonight. Worst game of the series. Three points, three rebounds, one assists. On 1 of 8 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3, 1 of 2 from the free throw line in 21 minutes, but a plus 7, and kind of in a similar sense to Strews, though the shot very clearly wasn't falling tonight, still being a willing spacer just to at least draw the focus of the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, and, you know, like I've said, Hero is an improved defender, but he's still the worst defender and continually gets targeted for that. Um so he, but he's at least putting in the effort from from what I see, but that's why I think so a plus seven in the end.
Bam Adebayo. Like, I remember before the game saying that the Heat would win or lose based off of the way Adebayo played. I was wrong there. Uh, he still had a solid game. 14 points, 8 rebounds, 1 assist on 6 of 11 from the field, 2 of 3 from the free throw line, but 4 fouls that did limit him to some foul trouble. And I will say at least he is scoring more each game. So we didn't have the big BAM game that I hoped we would have had, but it's still looming there. And eventually he's going to have to step up because Joel Embiid's probably coming in next round. Uh, but the last thing I wanted to leave off on this, the Heat have scored at least 110 points in every single game. 115 in game one and two, 110 in game three and four. So granted, the Hawks are a bad defense, but just to say that the Heat's offense, even even during these times where we're like, well, what's going on with Bam or Robinson's not getting any temps up, Struess is having bad shooting, Lyre's not really producing, despite it all, and actually in large part to what Jimmy Butler has been doing, you know, the Heat have been putting up points. And that really is putting pressure on the Hawks because the only way that they beat teams is by outscoring them. And if Miami's scoring at least 110 a game, that's a pretty high bar for the Hawks considering the Heat's defense. As we wrap up, though, going forward, the Heat will host the Hawks Tuesday for Game 5 and a chance to close out the series. Kyle Lowry is currently still listed as day-to-day, so unsure how what will happen for him for Game 5. However, based off of what we saw in Game 4, the Heat seem to have a backup plan for that in uh, Victor Oladipo. So I do expect, if Valerie's out, I expect Oladipo to be in the rotation Game 5. Uh, even if Lowry is there... I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Dunk gets a really short hook and Oladipo gets some minutes. Regardless, though, I expect the Heat to close out this in, this in five. Like, Heat in five is what it was always going to be. Zooming out of this series, though, and taking a more of a look around, Toronto won game four to force a game five. They will be at Philly tonight for game five, though I don't think the series will go on much longer than this. But just to say that the 76ers won't have as big of a rest advantage against the Heat provided both teams close out Game 5. And then on the other side of the bracket in the East, the Boston Celtics are up 3-0 in the net, so looks like they will be advancing to the semifinals. And then the Bucks are 3-1, up 3-1 on the Bulls, so also looking like it'll be Bucks celtics Between those two, given that Chris Middleton seems to be out for the Bucks right now, I lean towards the Celtics. So, I mean, the Celtics will probably be there waiting for us in the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, we got to get there first. Uh, in front of us right now, though, Game 5 Tuesday, so I will be recording a pod on Wednesday. That'll be all for this episode. Please be sure to follow the pod at Heaters Heating or myself at KBR Heat Nation on Twitter. Also check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball off of Twitter. I'll be back Wednesday, so until then, have a good one, Heat Nation.